But while you're opening that, let me tell you how I spent at least three and a half hours of my day today. My, mo my, lawnmower, my lawnmower didn't work. It wouldn't run. It's a craftsman riding mower. That's part of the problem. Never really had problems before. I went to start it yesterday because I'm hauling wood. It started, and then it just stopped, and it would not start again. So what, what do I do? So here's what I did. First of all, I changed the fuel filter. I figured maybe that's clogged. Put a new fuel, fuel filter on. That didn't do it. Then I figured, well, maybe it's clogged in the carburetor. So I had to take the cowl off, get to the carburetor, take the float bowl off, blow everything out, trying to clean it the best that I can. I put everything back together. It still wouldn't start. And I'm going, what on earth is the problem? And then I thought a little bit more, and I realized the gas tank's in the back. It has a fuel line that gets to the fuel filter, and there's no fuel getting to the filter. I can see inside that plastic bowl, no gas. So somewhere the problem is, from the tank to the fuel filter, something must be clogged. So I took the hoses off, and I took it off of the gas tank, and I took my air compressor, and not thinking very clearly, I hooked up, I put the nozzle of the air compressor on one end of the hose and hit the lever. Gas goes flying everywhere in the garage. It's going to smell for a long time, I think. My wife was delighted. But that was the problem. It blew stuff right out of the gas line. I put it all back together, hooked it all back up, put new spark plugs in it, started right up again. Something clogged in the fuel line. Now, what I want to ask you, have you ever experienced something clogging your faith? You know, where you get discouraged. You're in a trial, very, very long trial, or else you're in a series of trials, difficulties in life, and your faith begins to reel, your faith begins to struggle. Well, sometimes we get clogged up. Psalm 105, you ready? This is huge. This is going to put Psalm 105 in immediate clarity for you. Psalm 105 is written for a clogged up heart where faith is struggling. It's meant to blow the lines of your heart clean so that you can believe and trust and be encouraged and have strength. It's a tune-up for a believer's faith and a church's vitality. Let me tell you what a lot of people think Psalm 105 was written for. It was written for Israel when they came back from their captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And they came back to Jerusalem and the temple had been completely demolished. The land was razed. The land was useless for years. People were in ruin. Houses were in rubble. They came back and they were discouraged. This is our home. This is our homeland. And it looks horrible. It's a terrible place to be. And their faith ebbed. They were discouraged. And Psalm 105 begins to pull in evidence after evidence. If you glance through it, it's instance after instance of God's faithfulness. And it begins to restore the faith of his people. But now look at the first five verses, because this is where we're going to be. The first five, five verses have been called by many the Ten Commandments for Fighting Discouragement. Because there's ten commands in here. First five verses, 
Ten Commands. And we're going to look at each one briefly. We're going to fly through this. I've only got 25 minutes. So we're going to fly through this. And we're going to see God's treatment plan for a weary and discouraged heart. Here's number one. You ready? We're going to go quick. If you got your bulletin open, I'm going to encourage you to write fast. Thank God is the first one. If you want to get your lines clear, if you want to get your faith restored, you start by thanking God. Look what it says in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. You know, I want to say something, and I'm going to encourage you to write it down, because I truly believe this. A thankful Christian is one of the best advertisements of an amazing God. A thankful Christian is one of the best advertisements of an amazing God. You know, Samuel Leibowitz was an attorney. He was a lawyer. He was a lawyer to people who were on death row. In Samuel Leibowitz's career, he got 78 people successfully off of death row. Now, you ready? Listen to this. He says not one of them ever thanked him. Not one. Christian, I want to say something that should be sobering to us right at the beginning. You and I have been let off the worst death row possible. And our mediator, Jesus Christ, is the one who worked the deal. He put himself in the electric chair. He placed the noose around his own neck. He stepped in front of the firing squad. Why? All so that you and I would not have to die for our sins, all so that we could have eternal life. What is the response in you to that? What is your response? What is my response? The right and the good and the perfect response is to give thanks to the Lord over and over for this gift of life. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us that we are to thank always, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I give you maybe a way to get started on that this week? It is Thanksgiving. Can I encourage you maybe perhaps take a pen and a paper, maybe a notebook, and clear an hour or two. Maybe even use a note-taking app on your phone and write down all the gifts from God that you can think of. Just write them down. Big gifts, little gifts. All the things that he has done. All the displays of his kindnesses. Listen, a cure for a discouraged faith is beginning to think of God's kindnesses and giving thanks to him. If your faith is struggling, this is where you begin. You know, I visited a family not too long ago where the father, I was in his home. I, I, I had I don't think I've experienced this in America prior to this point. I did in Haiti, but not in America. I visited this family. The father begins to tear up. And the reason he's tearing up is because he's telling me how faithful God had been to them and his family. And I asked him, well, well how, how has he displayed that to you? And he took me to his refrigerator and opened it up and showed me it was full of food. For most of us, food in the fridge is not a really big deal. Yes, we say thank you, but Lord, you know, thank you, but it's kind of common. It's not that big of a deal. But for this family, which had financially struggled lately, it was not only a big deal, it was an evidence of God's love for them. A heart that gets encouraged begins by giving thanks. 
But look at number two, pray to God, call upon his name, it says in verse one. You know, one of the rules of the Ackley family, by the way, you should be happy that you're probably not one of, or not that you're probably not, because you're not one of my kids. I have one of you here, but you should be happy that you're not one of my children, because I have kind of some of these rules that I think are very important. Here's one of them. Ackleys don't say can't, they ask for help. I really believe in that rule. Every child of God needs to live by this rule with our Heavenly Father. Listen, are you discouraged? Then ask for help from the Father. Pray, call upon his name, which we've just been told is the Lord. Look at verse 1. It's Yahweh, the ever-faithful, personal God who will never change. Moses told Israel, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him. In the Bible, the name of a person represented his or her character. Remember Nabal? Not a very good man, a very foolish man. His name meant folly. David almost killed him. The Lord took him before he could. Listen, names represented the character of a person. So to call upon his name means to pray to God, understanding his character and his attributes. Listen, you've got to know God. Your prayer life, if you don't know God, is going to be anemic. It's going to be weak. But the more that you know God, the more your prayers are filled with power and confidence. And all of a sudden, the lines of faith in your heart get blown clean. You begin with thanks and you move to prayer. And then you move on to number three, you begin to confess God. You make known his deeds among the peoples. You know, I find it personally impossible to remain spiritually discouraged when I am testifying of my God or hearing others do the same. I don't think it's possible. Listen, if you never give testimony of what God is doing in your life, then don't be surprised when your faith begins to weaken. If you want a strong, robust faith, then listen to people when they tell you what God is doing and give evidence of what God is doing in your life. You begin to confess what God is doing. This last week was pretty amazing. I had a day where I was really working hard. I, was, I, I devoted it to working on the sermon here comes Brian Hartman, comes into my office, he begins to tell me story after story of how God has provided the tools and the equipment that we just this last week sent to Dungu Democratic Republic to the Restoring Hope Ministry Project. Jim and Jeff, they've been sending updates of how God is overcoming obstacles in Dungu. Linda Friend, our children's director, gave us a report of what God had just done most recently at the after-school Bible club at Justin or at Cheston. Matt Potter, who heads up with his team, Riverside Ministry, recently told me of the amazing work that God is doing Monday evenings at Riverside. Sue Schroeder came in and she leads in a volunteer's capacity our women's ministry. She told me recently what God is doing in women's ministry. Listen, there's no way, there is no way my faith could be discouraged when I'm hearing all of this. It's an amazing God that we have. And we're commanded to make God's deeds known. And when we do, we strengthen each other's faith. Now listen, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. But I want you to underscore that. When you make God's deeds known, you strengthen 
other believers' faith. That's how important it is. And we do this among the peoples, the verse says, among the Christians and the unbelievers alike, people in the church and out of the church. And then you move to number four, you sing to God. Look what it says, sing to him, sing praises to him. You know, would you not agree with me, especially after that worship set? I love No Longer Slaves. That song just resonates in my heart. There is something about music that impacts our souls. Are you not thankful for the worship team that we have here? My lips will shout for joy, Psalm 71, 23. When I sing praises to you, now watch what happens to the soul. My soul also, which you have redeemed. So listen, when you shout for joy to God, when you sing praises to God, your soul gets swept into it. We have somebody at the Mark Street campus that I absolutely love. I love him. I've known him for years and years. He never sings. He sits there, he stands there with a stoic look on his face, and I'm, all I can think of is, man, you got a surprise coming to you in heaven. You're going to be probably one of the loudest singers in heaven. Just because God's going to make you sing loud because you're such a jerk on earth. No, I didn't actually say that. I didn't say that. But he never sings. There's just something in him that doesn't know how to sing, I guess. He doesn't, his soul doesn't respond. But listen, when we sing praises to God, it sweeps our souls into it. God loves music. Music can lift a weary soul. It can discourage or it can lift up a discouraged heart. It can renew a confidence in the Lord. God's given us music. And he tells us to sing to him, make our music to him. But notice the distinction here. Now look at your verse again. Sing to him is to sing vocally like a minstrel, like a vocalist. But, now listen, but to sing praises means in the Hebrew to strike with your fingers or touch the strings. Now, I'm bringing that out for a distinction. The first one means you verbally sing with your voice. The second one, you bring in the instruments. God wants us to sing to him. God wants us to play instruments to him. He is the guest of honor to whom we sing and play. And our lips will shout for joy and our souls will be swept into it when we praise our God. When you're discouraged in your faith, begin to sing praises. And then number five, you got to talk about God. Look at what it says. Tell of all of his wondrous works. Now, if you go back to the third commandment, we are to confess God's works to all people. And this one means to make God the subject in your ordinary conversation. So you just have an ordinary conversation. How does that look? Well, you're at work. And you might have coworkers that don't know God. Or you're in your neighborhood and you've got neighbors that don't know God. I do. You're at the bus stop and you've got other moms and maybe other dads whose children are, you're waiting for the bus to drop off the children and there's some in there that don't know God. And you've got friends that don't know God and you've got family members, I'm sure like I do, that don't know God. And you make God the subject of ordinary conversation. It doesn't need to be some big theological exercise to fit God in. He ought to fit in everywhere. You talk about him. You confess him. You testify about him. You make God the center. 
You know what it means? It means this. And this is, the, I think, the best way that I could put it. You don't let our amazing God go unnoticed. You talk about his works in your life. You light up Facebook. You light up Twitter with real, everyday evidence of God's work. Listen, you don't need to wait until God saves you from almost hitting a deer and going into a tree before you give testimony of God. There's everyday, ordinary things that can be attributed to God that you can give testimony of. The very first thing that I did when that mower began was to say, God, thank you, because I am so not a mechanic. First of all, thank you that I found where all those screws went, because I almost forgot part of it but thank you that it works i'm going to give you glory for this if you got a friend who is struggling then you share what god has done for you if someone in your family has had something good happen then move the credit to god you know the other day this last this last uh, week i think it was wednesday no it's thursday morning my 11 year old andy lost a badge that he brought home from school that he accidentally brought home. He wasn't supposed to bring it home. And if you lose it, they've been told that there's going to be a fee. Well, in Andy's little mind, all of a sudden it became, I'm going to be suspended. I'm going to be kicked out of school. I'm going to live with you the rest of my life. No, he didn't say all that. But he said, I'm going to get in trouble, Dad. And he's upset. He's crying. And I said, Andrew, let's just pray. Let's just pray and find your soul back to peace. God is in control. God knows exactly where it is. God can help you find it. So he begins to pray and he goes about his morning and all of a sudden he finds it. And the first thing, I said, Andy, what's the first thing that you did? He goes, I gave thanks to God. Well, that's the way you live as a Christian. You've got to give God the credit. You've got to tell everybody of his wondrous works. And then it moves to number six. You boast about God. Now listen, let me take a time out because I'm not going to be much longer. Let me take a time out and remind you of something. You ready? Psalm 105. It's written to an entire people who were completely discouraged in their faith. They didn't even want to gather to worship. They didn't even want to build, rebuild the temple of God. They were so discouraged. Why bother? Why should we even do this? It brought out a spiritual lethargy in them that needed to be rejuvenated. Psalm 105 is built. It was written to restore a flagging faith. Now listen, some of you need this. I know some of your stories. But I'm going to tell you, can I look at me for a second? I'm going to tell you, young and old, Every one of us are going to need it at some point in our lives. You better remember Psalm 105 and get back to it. And remember the 10 steps to restore a discouraged faith. Boast about God. you got a glory in his holy name. I love this word glory. It may be one of the best words in all of the Bible. It literally and wonderfully means to boast and to shine. Think of a spotlight that shines on a person who is up on stage receiving an, an award. That's what it means to give glory to God. It means that your life, all the credit is going to be on God like a spotlight, so that you're not in it. You don't get the credit. You don't share it. It is God alone that gets the credit, and you are giving it to him. You are directing it to him. That's what it means to glory in his holy name. It means to lift God up, and shine a light 
on his perfections. It's to brag in our perfect God. And then number seven, you rejoice in God. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. If our hearts are not filled with joy, I hope you hear this. If our hearts are not filled with joy, then we are not celebrating our God. Now, I want to say something really important. Because a lot of what I do is counseling. And I've had some of the most pain-wracked people in my office who have lost their children, who have lost their jobs, who have lost their way. They come into my office, their marriages are on the brink, their children are rebelling against God, and they are in pain. And you can't sing songs of joy to a person in pain. But what you can do is move people to rejoice. And here's what it means. It means to brighten up, to cheer up. Joy is disconnected from circumstances. Do you understand that? Joy is disconnected from circumstances. And to rejoice is to find the joy that you lost. And your joy is only in the strength of the Lord. You must find your way to Jesus again. We're commanded to rejoice. We're not, not until we feel like rejoicing, not until we feel gladness come over us. You rejoice, you brighten up, you cheer up, you remember God is faithful. He is good to us. Let that truth brighten your day. Now listen, I'm going to tell you what rejoice really means. Here's how you do it. It doesn't start in your emotions. It ends, rather, let me say it a little bit better. It doesn't start in your emotions. It starts in your mind. Do you hear that? It's how you perceive God. It's how you speak truth to your soul. It goes through your emotions because the truth begins to change your emotions so that the happiness can slowly come back to the truth. And the truth is God is utterly faithful. God is always in control. God is on the throne. Nothing happened to you that God did not decree. And he would only bring it into your life if it was absolutely perfectly good for you. Well, I don't believe that in my emotions. you got to subdue your emotions to the truth. And you let the truth have the reign. It begins to bring your emotions back in line, and then it moves you to live the right way. It begins in your mind, it conforms the emotions to it, and it puts your feet and your hands in motion so you're obedient to God. That's what it means to rejoice. It will result in cheering up and brightening up. And it results in number eight, pursuing God. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek the Lord and his strength. Notice how many times in verse Verses 1 through 5, you see the words him, his, or he. If you got the ESV, it's 11 times. So are you discouraged, brother and sister? Are you weary? Are you struggling? Then there is only one direction to go to the Lord. You don't come first to me. You don't put your hopes in Pastor Tim or Pastor Matthew. You don't put your hopes in your husband or your wife, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your children. You don't put your hope in your job, your boss, your accolades, your sports, your health. You don't put your hope in anything but God. You go to him first. It is a vertical psalm. And you find your solace, you find your refuge, your help, your strength in him. But the word seek is interesting. 
Here it means to follow or tread. You follow, you walk toward, you pursue the Lord, you make him your single-minded pursuit. That is within your power. You can do that. You don't need to, you don't need to wait for God to send you a signal before you begin to tread or walk toward him. You can do that now because the Spirit of God lives in you, Christian brother and sister. It's the natural impulse of the Spirit to lead you towards the Father. Remember when Peter was sinking below the waters of the Sea of Galilee, he cried out, Lord, save me. Well, where did he go? He went to Jesus. That was the natural impulse in Peter. Nehemiah, when he was repeatedly threatened, he turned to the Lord every single time when trouble came against him. Do you remember King Hezekiah? When all of Assyria is camped out, the army outside of the gates of Jerusalem, threatening him that they're going to destroy Israel, destroy Jerusalem, destroy Hezekiah. Where does he go? He goes to the courts of the Lord. He lays out the letter of threats from Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. He lays it out before the Lord. He goes to the Lord for help. That's what it means to seek the Lord. When you're discouraged, when you're weary, when you don't understand God, why don't you answer my prayers? Where are you? I feel like I'm all alone. You're never doing anything for me. Listen, you go to him. You go to him alone. And then you seek his presence continually. And this time the word seek has a different meaning. This is not even the same Hebrew word as the first time you saw seek. Here it means or implies pleading. Here we are to plead and desire for nothing more than God's presence. Have you ever seen a dog get excited when they hear their master's car approaching? You ever seen that? If you, have an, if you have a dog, you probably have, have been noticing that. Or have you ever seen a dog that will not leave its master's side? Do you ever see a dog that when its master comes home, it reaches up and licks its master's hand? Now, I want to tell you something. The word worship means to lick the hand like a dog does to the master. I would write that one down if I were you. That's what worship means. That's most, one of the most fundamental meanings of the word worship. It means to lick the hand. It means to be so in love with your master, God, that your affection pours out. You're pleading, you're imploring, your desire is for God more than anything else because all of these other commands have been working in your heart and all you can think about, what fills your mind more than anyone is God. This, is, this adoration is what Psalm 73, verse 25, is implying. Whom I have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now I'm going to tell you something that most of us, if not every one of us, cannot really say that. Because we've got these little competitive gods called idols. They're substitutes for God. And they get in the way of God. And sometimes those idols are our children. Sometimes they are our spouse. Maybe our parents, our job, our money, our cars. There's all kinds of idols. Our work, our occupation, our career. And they get in the way of God and they vie for God's attention. We turn to them when our souls get discouraged. You work more hours. You dote on your children more. You try to please your spouse even more. It doesn't work. 
To seek God and his presence continually means you go past the idols, you repent of the idols, and you put your love and your affection on God more than anyone. And then finally, track, keep track of God's work. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. And I love this word remember, and th this is great. Try to remember what remember means, okay? It means to mark something so that you can later recall it. It's like highlighting your Bible. It's like drawing a line under it and, a, and an arrow to the margin. That's what it means to remember the wondrous works. You mark it and so that you can later read, recall it. We've got to get in the habit of doing this. Life, it's like marking a trail in case you get lost. And when you get lost with a struggling faith, these marks can get you back. So you keep track of what God is doing in your life. You write them down. You share them with other people. You make mental notes so that you don't forget. You know what I find that I have to do whenever I do a project like I did today? This is such a lifesaver. I take a picture of what it's supposed to look like before I disassemble anything. And that's what it means to remember. You mark something so that you can later recall it. The purpose of Psalm 105 is to help the people of God endure trials with a healthy faith. Did you hear that? Listen, I'm going to be done in 30 seconds, but I don't want you to tune out of this. This is so important. The purpose of Psalm 105 is to help the people of God endure trials with a healthy faith. So you give thanks... You pray, you testify, you sing, you witness, you boast, you rejoice, you pursue, you seek, and you remember. And when we begin to live like this, we're going to have the lines of our faith get unplugged. And it's going to start encouragement back in your heart. And the strength and the vitality of your faith will be amazing. Amen? Let's pray.